2: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.
1: Pretty quiet couple of weeks since our last show, huh, guys? I mean, anything important happen that you guys have seen? Anything interesting at all? Maybe, Ben, anything catch your eye? No? I don't think anything. What sport
2: do we talk about? (laughs)
1: <laughs> just, to, just a you know, what conference do we talk about? It might be the better conversation piece. <laughs> I mean, what, what? Since we started, we I know we originally came in on normally we were planning to do this on Sunday, and, and the three of us kind of put our heads together, and we we're like, yeah, uh, maybe we wait until the opening day of camp. We can talk after Wednesday, do a Thursday night thing, uh, and then in those four days, the the college football world seemed to explode. Um, so we've got a whole lot to talk about here. Welcome in Seminole Rap Podcast. Brian Pellerin, Ben Marison, John Marchant. Uh, we will cover the conference realignment. I think that's where we're going to start. We'll talk a little bit about the opening days uh, day of camp. The um, welcome in press conference from Norvell yesterday. That really fun video they put on on uh, Twitter of, of him just like welcoming everyone was pretty hilarious. Uh, and then the ACC preseason poll, some of the preseason teams, and just kind of general thoughts there from ACC kickoff last week, as all part of our preseason coverage. But it, it's it's. Really hard to kind of start anywhere but the conference realignment conversation. It is uh, front and center, and I, I feel like Florida State is the loudest voice in the room, even as there really isn't much going on. Uh, ben, you said you watched the board of trustees yesterday. Uh, do you want to kind of give us just a general, in case you're you've been under a rock, kind of where we're at right now with the ACC and, and Florida State?
0: Yeah. So um, you know, the board of trustees meeting was it was basically laid out, um, by, um, the athletic director and some of the other trustees that, uh, FSU staying in the ACC under the current model they have and under the current revenue sharing is just not feasible in their eyes. Um, and, you know, the way they described it is that they're essentially losing $30 million every single year that they stay in the ACC. So, you know, especially, you know, obviously we're focusing on the football side of things. That's what we're talking about, but um, that affects all other sports, especially the non-revenue sports. Um, and, and we know, know, FSU is so focused on, you know, of course, being great in football, but, but being, being great in sports in general. And and I feel like, you know, as much as people want to focus on the football side of this, um, I, I really do feel that it. It's more to, to do with all the other things associated that come along with in the fact that, you know, FSU, they want to be one of the most competitive teams in, in and tons of different women's sports um, and, and tons of other non-revenue sports, like I mentioned. So, you know, I, I I think that's the biggest thing I would say is that I think everyone's focusing on the football side of things, whereas for FSU, it's pretty straightforward, in terms of their athletic department, this is an economical decision. It's a, I mean, I I forget who said it in the board of trustees meeting, but it's a math problem, right? Uh, they, you know, when you're going to be lacking behind about 20 to 30 other schools who are bringing in an additional $30 million a year in revenue than you are. Um, it's just going to add up over time. And, you know, FSU is certainly the first to, to make this hard of a stance. And, you know, they've been publicly talking about this for the last few months. So it's not surprising that they're bringing this up again. I, I do think what felt different about this is that, you know, some of the trustees had mentioned some more hard deadlines, saying you know, we want to figure out an exit strategy for this. Um, and you know, the, the, the next date in particular, that's really important is August 15th. That's a little less than two weeks from now. That would be the last day that Florida state could essentially tell the ACC that they're leaving for 2024. So, um, you know, we'll all be keeping our eyes on Twitter or, or X, I guess, until then. Um, but you know that that's that's really the the important deadline and, and, and the, the the biggest thing on on fans' minds right now. I know everyone's trying to figure out oh what which conference is FSU going to you know what what's happening is the ACC crumbling? Um, I think I think FSU won't be in the ACC at some point in the future. Um, I just don't know when that's going to be because you, you know it's one thing for them to want to leave and say, Hey, it doesn't make any sense for us to stay in the ACC. It's another thing to to actually find the exit strategy and put that into plan. So to me, I I felt like this board of trustees meeting was the first step of them saying essentially giving the ACC kind of one last opportunity to be like, Hey, you know, we want to make this work, which, you know, I don't know how much, uh, or or how truthful they are being with that because I I feel like their foot's out the door anyways just from the tone of the athletic director and just the trustees in general I I think to me it's just a matter of when not if it happens right so I, I think they publicly wanted to give some sort of you know, life rafts to the ACC and say like, Hey, you know, we're trying, you know, we have these deadlines, we we have this last opportunity, but in all reality, I think it's really just a matter of time. um, Whenever FSU jumps over to either the big 10 or the SEC, Um, which of those conferences they jump to. I don't know. That's, that's, uh, that's a little above my pay grade. I'm sure we can definitely, um, you know, talk about that. But, but I think, you know, for FSU, this is a strict strictly a math problem um and they know their value as a college football brand and, and just as a college sports brand in general and um staying and sticking with the acc would only diminish that it wouldn't wouldn't increase that over time so yeah i think it's a pretty straightforward decision for them
1: well john I mean, and we had the man who's whose pay grade it is on the podcast earlier this year uh uh, the AD Alfred and and we asked him about this particularly. We, we kept him for for a long time talking conference realignment, and he made it pretty clear in those conversations. Uh, this was coming. I mean, I, I don't think he made it much of a secret that that the idea of Florida State wants to get out um, because of that math problem. But John, I guess, what are what's your takeaway? Do you see this as something that really? changed uh because i mean like the the big quote came out of it from from the former quarterback uh, drew weatherford was you know it's it's not if we leave it is how and when but i don't know if that's much of a real change from what we had before
2: yeah it's really not a real change from what we had before uh we knew fsu wanted out i think the purpose of this was really to signal uh, what was it David Hale? I mean, he had said some ridiculous things on Twitter and then he had a couple of uh decent arguments he had followed that up with. I guess that's Twitter in a nutshell, but, <laughs> um, he, it was significant to several groups. One was the fan base, right? I agree with David Hale on that. He was signaling to the fan base. Look, you know, we're, we, we get it. Right. Um, but also I appreciated his point about FSU signaling to ESPN, right? I mean, the ACC is dead, dead conference already. It is just a question of when, and it does feel like Florida State is trying to, like as Bud Elliott said on Twitter, bring the entire conference down, which is not something you usually see by one team. You know, before something like this happens, um, it's not just well. It is an economic problem. I'd, I'd add to that that it being an economic problem makes it an existential problem for Florida State, and all these people on Twitter we're like, oh, FSU's been bad for the last five years, blah, 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 you know, excluding last year, of course. That's not the point. It could not be further from the point. The point is FSU is trying to secure its future, right, and its ability to compete down the road. The college football arms race started in the 90s, really, and never stopped. And NIL has only, you know, further increased that. And like uh, Ben's great point was, you're losing money every year that you don't leave, right? Every year you're staying in the ACC, it's costing you money. And that is costing you your future because that compounds over time. And so FSU knows they need, they need to get out. Uh, they will. I think a lot of this was about, you know, everyone says, Oh, the, the grant of rights is secure and blah, 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 blah. And I know all the other teams besides, uh, Clemson especially are going to hide behind that, right? Because FSU and Clemson are essentially subsidizing the rest of the ACC. You make those arguments that you make not so you get out this year, right? Or next year, you know, obviously. It's so maybe you can be out by 2027, right? 2028 maybe. It's so you're not still in the ACC at 2036 when it's already too late. I think that's what this really came down to. So, it, again, the, the ACC is dead. They are. And and it's up to the other programs and their administrators about how long the ACC will stay together. If they gr- agree to unequal revenue sharing, so Florida State gets more of a fair share of, of the paw for what it's bringing in, then the ACC is probably not going to try to <laughs> topple the entire conference as quickly as it otherwise might. Uh, but again, those I expect those other schools to hide behind the grant of rights because they're going to make more money that way. They're going to put their short-term interests uh, ahead of their long-term interests, or the, or who cares? They may not even see a difference in the long term because FSU's gone anyway. So uh, it's clear that Florida, that uh, college football in general, is heading towards a power two. Uh, whether it becomes a power three of some sort, if the remnants of the Big Twelve, Pac twelve. And the ACC get together of whatever's left uh, to try to become a counterweight to the Big Ten and the SEC. In my opinion, it doesn't really matter which one FSU ends up in. But this is happening. Whether it's not going to happen, they're not going to. I don't know when they're going to announce. They could announce next year. They can announce the year after. I think the Big Ten just signed a TV contract that runs through I think 2029. I want to say. Um. So I I always thought 2030 would be the year that that they it would happen. But and it might, but they may announce in 2027, right? And then end up getting out in 2030. As it's still 6 years before everyone thought
1: they'd be stuck till so. I I think what a lot of what what has happened the last few days here is the positioning with the fan base specifically um, and the ACC as a whole, to to that end. I mean, you mentioned David Hale, and uh, you know, I, I've seen plenty upset with his with his ideas and his comments. But I I thought the um, most on the nose thing he said was, "There's a lot of what the plan is gonna be. We're gonna leave and we're gonna go to another conference, but there's not any real conversation of how, and no one has really." Come up with a way that seems to be plausible in the next year, you know, I, not something that where they start in the in in, in the SEC or the Big Ten in twenty twenty four or twenty five, um, because I'm just not sure there is a, a a very easy answer. It seems like it's it's likely going to end up in court. Maybe um, it, when you look at it, it just feels like. Um, Florida State gets it. And, and that more than anything is what I think matters is that they understand it. And, and if you're willing to be the out front, outspoken one to take this, I mean, you're the public face of quote unquote, blowing up college football today. Um, if you're going to be that program, I have to think you're appealing to obviously your base, but beyond just the regular fan base, you're appealing to those who can help finance you out of it. And through some of it, because to your point, if, if if they're out by, even if it's 26, even if it's 28, 30, um, you're going to have to play the finance game in that gap. Currently, you've built a strong program. You've got a great football team who's who's capable of competing for a championship this year. Nothing says you have to be out by 24 to compete or 26 to compete. Um, you can stay afloat for a couple of years and then make your jump. You're you're in a power position right now. Um, the issue is is the long term. And and I feel like it's almost one of those, we're on the train tracks and we know that there is a clear break in the train tracks coming and everyone's like, we need to get off now. And it's like, well, we've we've got some time. Like we've got a few years to kind of settle. My question though, John, I guess to come back to you here is like, is there a way you see this working in the short term to support florida state make them bet like i guess if we're looking grand of rights and and you're kind of locked in there for through 36 um i feel like there just has to be the break is going to end up costing them some but the the idea of coming out ahead in the long run is i feel like what they're kind of looking toward
2: well right so a couple things like Yes, this is about Florida State's long-term security and its future, right? That's not going to be in the ACC because they literally cannot pay FSU enough to stay. Right. Even if they do unequal revenue sharing, the problem is the the gap will still continue to grow. If, If the ACC says, okay, yeah, we'll break. We'll give you what you want. Please don't leave us. Right. We'll give you 60, 65 million, even 70 million. Well, in a few years, the Big Ten—they just signed a, what is it, a nine or seven billion? They're going to be basically distributing about a billion dollars a year from their TV deal. You're talking about a hundred million dollars a year distribution. You're still falling behind, so it doesn't—it doesn't matter. And again, I think a lot of this wasn't—it wasn't just towards the conference, sorry, but it was also toward. I, I want to repeat: ESPN. They are the Florida State is signaling we're one of the most valuable brands, the most valuable brand in the. ACC, right. Clemson's uh shortly behind us in second place, but we are the most valuable brand. You are in danger of losing us to Fox if you don't do something. So that's why I feel like more of it was for, um, or, or just as much for ESPN as it was for the ACC yesterday. Um.
1: And we've seen we've seen ESPN cannibalize itself. It it did right. that with Texas. I mean, the, the, to be to be different there, I guess the Longhorn Network was a losing venture for ESPN slash Disney. So they, there was an incentive for them there. But we've seen them cannibalize themselves in this aspect before,
2: right? And then I think the interesting dynamic there also is I believe Florida State would be worth more to the Big Ten than it would the ACC because the SEC already has UF in in Florida the footprint. And, it, you know, whether Clemson's the package deal or Miami's the package deal, uh, especially Miami, you kind of get saturated in that Florida market if you're the SEC. And the Big Ten, I think, would love to have a piece of the, the Florida market. Um, I think FSC would do better on the field um, in the Big Ten because I think that conference is more top-heavy and not as deep as, as the SEC is. But as a Florida State fan, I just don't care. It really doesn't matter. Right? Um, you, well, you just need... Eating the money.
1: Well, I'm curious. And I've seen that said a lot where where I almost feel like more people are interested in being a Big Ten member and and, and allow us to to stray into fantasy land where where the long term you you kind of get to pick your own program. Obviously, they're going to make a decision based on finances, who wants them and how that, that works out. But um just from a fan perspective, I've seen a lot of people wanting the Big Ten. Um and I, I was kind of surprised by that i understand maybe the money is going to work out slightly better there kind of in the current tv deals i don't know long term but um i feel like from a fan perspective i'd personally want the closer opponents i feel like i'd rather be going to georgia i'd rather be going to auburn and lsu and texas than i would be like you know playing november 3rd in east lansing to then go november 10th to you know usc well, I guess that's true. USC and UCLA exist. Yeah, I forget on that part, but well, yeah, I mean, I, I just keep picturing like the 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 conference. I mean, and at this point, it might not even matter because I mean, you look at the NFL and it not matter. But I just was like, it's a lot harder for a college team to be going, at the, and a college fan to want to do those kinds of things.
2: Right, I, I do think FSU is probably more of a fit for the SEC, right, culture wise, and all the other things. Uh, but I think a lot of it has historical. Remember when we whooped Wisconsin in that one bowl game where they just couldn't keep up with FSU speed and things like that. There's there's historical memories like that I think fans, you know, maybe subconsciously recognize whenever they talk about the Big Ten. Uh, and it just be a very different kind of games that you get to see than what FSU is used to, right? Uh, like we're playing home-and-home home with LSU recently. Uh, obviously, uh, last year and opening this year, we don't really play a whole lot of Big Ten teams, right? How often has FSU – it was the last time FSU played Michigan, the bowl game. But since then, how often, right? So um, I, I don't know. There's a little bit of that to it. But the the important thing is I think FSU did the right thing. I think people are, I saw this again, a couple of tweets. People are right when they say FSU is trying to bring the conference down because they are, because they have to. They know they have to. And other, other teams in that conference feel the same way, even if they don't want to publicly say it. Um, but at least FSU does care about football. So they're actually doing something about it.
0: Yeah and, and I also think you know getting back to the whole SEC Big 10 difference you know kind of like diving into that a little bit I I think it's a win win either way I I I think like like you're kind of saying John I don't know if there's necessarily a preference um I think with the SEC like you mentioned Brian it is it's going to be more regional it's going to make more sense um and I even think you know and and I heard someone talking about this today how you know with the death of the Pac 12 we're, we're talking about the depth of those late night, high flying, high scoring chaos games. You know, I think stylistically, um, to, to me, at least the ACC, I, I don't really know if they have a particular football style. But you look at the Big Ten, the SEC, I, I think stylistically Florida State probably fits more into that SEC mold and, and the Big Ten mold would be just a little bit different from what we think of as the traditional FSU type of football team. You know, you just think of more defense, you know, those cold snow games. Um, I, I I think there is a little bit of that aspect to it, but at the end of the day, if you're Florida state, not that that doesn't matter at all, but you got to make the best deal that's out there for you. Um, and, and I do think maybe the one aspect of this too, is that, um, you know, with the sec over on ESPN, and you guys talking about how FSU is trying to kind of bid ESPN saying like, hey, we're this great value for right, for you right now. That could be part of this, too. Right. So I, I think there's a lot of moving parts to it. And I, I do think this happens by 2025 or 2026, just based off the comments we've seen this week, because I, I think. You know, especially in that board of trustees meeting, the the one thing that that really stuck with me beyond uh, the you know if not is it you know it not being about if but when, um, the thing that really stuck with me was that was that the board of trustees made it obvious to to Ad Alford that there needs to be a plan in place an exit strategy in place that is actionable, you know, not just something where we continue to talk about this for the next three, four or five years, you know, it's like, Oh, when is the ACC going to die? They, they want an exit strategy and they, they want something that they can actually take action with. So um, I, I do think this is going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, and, and to me, this was just FSU, even though FSU has already publicly come out and said a lot, this is, fsu publicly negotiating in their own way um so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out but at the end of the day it's like like we've all mentioned it's really just about when it happens not if it happens with florida state
1: yeah and to your point of it being a public negotiation i mean it, it's it's been a very poorly kept secret for two years that they're looking you know, they, they, Michael Alford and the gang are together. They are trying to every, every lawyer in the country that they can find who is willing to do it to, to look through the ways out, John.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think that's a great point, actually, because I want even FSU's president McCullough was talking about, uh, he understands, and I think he, his background is in uh, academia. So he wasn't like a weather or, you know, he a politician or the fundraising and that kind of thing. He, He gets it also, which is really, really great to see. So, uh, Again, I mean, going back to the grant of rights too. everyone, you know, like David Hill made a lot of big, big deal about, well, the, the grant of rights is ironclad, there's no way out of it, and yada, yada, yada. There's always been a grant of rights. Maryland sued to get out before, you know, their time was up. You always pay some kind of exit fee and get out. And again, going back to the economics of it. Uh, yeah, there's a cost to leaving. But like Ben pointed out, there's a cost to staying also. And every year that cost goes down. Uh, the cost to get out goes down. The cost of staying goes higher. Right? right because it's compounded like Ben pointed out you're losing 30 to really might be up to 60 million dollars a year every single year um a- again i don't expect fsu to announce next week I-, I would imagine they might announce next year and they're getting out by 27 28 right or at yeah. worst they're out by 2030 uh but they're definitely definitely not going to be in the acc i think I would even say 2030 is the absolute latest. I think they're out before then. I think they're probably up by 2027,
1: 20, 2028.
2: 20, and um, I think we
1: all kind of agree on that.
2: Yeah. So it it's the beginning of the end, basically.
1: Yeah, and and the writing's on the wall, and it's pretty clear. And, and you know, I, we've talked about it before. in just the, the real number, the, the, what the numbers end up meaning, you know, because when we talked to Alfred, we kind of asked what what does a thirty million dollar deficit look like, and and he was, you know. Pretty much. I was like, is it facilities? Is it coaches? Is it travel? Is it? And his response was, it's all of it. It's yeah. it's every sport. We're going to have to find ways to make cuts. If we get donations, it's going to have to go certain places and it, can- it won't be upgrading the softball facility. I mean, I don't know if the softball facility needs it, but, you know, that is a program that competes year in, and year out for a championship. That's one you need to be putting money in. That's the, the baseball program. You just went and hired a coach away from uh Notre Dame. You know, Leonard Hamilton, if you're gonna get that program back going, you're gonna need to start putting more money back into that. You know, like there's there's a it like Ben said, it's a program that prides itself across the board. And squeezing yourself out of $30 million, you're not losing it, but it's the deficit. You're not getting the same 30 everyone else's. That they have the 30 million on you. And that's, I mean, you're seeing coaches make $10 million a year. You're making you're seeing facilities built for hundreds of millions. And in the way that they have looked at this grant of rights, and whether it's ironclad or not, again, I don't have a law degree, I don't know. Um, But to me, the the way I kind of see this past week in in my very, very poor uh, view of it was, you know, the, the adage was it, you know, if you have the facts, pound the facts. If you don't have the facts, pound the table. This to me felt like this week was we're just going to, instead of pounding the table, we're just going to burn this mother down. You know, I mean, that was the way it came off was like, Hey, we've tried everything we can. We're going to just send the smoke signals out. We're going to burn this thing down. We're the biggest dog in this, in this room. And if we burn it down, we're all going down. So you guys need to start figuring something out because we are leaving. And it's very interesting too. And we, we I don't want to stay on this forever. We'll get to Norvell here in a second, but boy, Clemson's been quiet, huh? Yeah. Real quiet. I I don't know if they're just
2: happy for Florida State to take the lead, but I know secretly they have to feel the exact same way.
1: I mean, and they have to. It's just very interesting that they are so quiet and it's it's crickets. And, you know, you see the same thing with Miami uh, coming up from a lot of the national reporters who are talking about this. You know, their name pops up every once in a while as actively looking to move and get out and things. Um, but it's very interesting that Florida State's the one who's the most out front, the most willing to say, Hey, this is going to fail. And we are more than happy to make sure it does because I went out of here. You know, it's, it's that we're just going to burn it down kind of situation. Um, I, I think that about covers it. any, any other thoughts on, on, on conference realignment. I mean, obviously the PAC 12 is finished. We talked about that. It looks like Oregon and Washington are about to jump to the big 10 as well. And, uh, four others are about to make the jump to the big, T- big 12. It's going to leave like four schools by themselves. And, I mean, I just feel like if you need an example of what a bad TV deal can do to you down the road, that's that's your example of what the ACC could look like.
0: Yeah, and I think the only thing I would say before we move on is that I, I feel like this is trending more towards, um, I don't know if you guys remember a few years ago, I think now, it was when all the uh, soccer teams in Europe who were kind of scattered in different countries tried to form a Super League. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's going to be one Super League as much as it is going to be two super conferences at a certain point i i I feel like that's where we're trending
1: and and to be fair on on the full of college football i mean you know people are like well the parody and all those things and, and yes that is what makes college football wonderful um you know there is the argument there really are only probably 16 teams at the beginning of the year who have a realistic shot Maybe 20, you know, I mean, there aren't very, how, how often is a team that's, that's kind of out of the radar come up like TCU did a year ago. I mean, and even then TCU was stealing games by their teeth. Now that is what makes college football fun. And I would love if that was the way college football continued to be, but I think we see it kind of everywhere in society that it's, it's everyone's in a, in a money race, an arms race for dollars and college football and, and college sports in general are no different.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we see that with the NIL too, right? You want to talk about changing landscape. Uh, it's, it's changing really, really quick everywhere for college football.
2: Um, and I, I'd even go a step further. It's, it's more than just a power too where this is going is football splitting away potentially from the NCAA, but at least at a minimum from all other sports. Uh, I mean, maybe basketball comes along, but, but maybe it doesn't, maybe it's just football especially the non-revenue sports where the top i don't know 50 maybe or so teams uh are on their own thing even again even if they end up splitting away from the NCAA they're their own thing their own separate division of football they're the only ones that make money um they could eventually i would my actual hope for that would be the players unionize and they're splitting the tv revenue with with the schools uh but that's that's where it's going and it might be 20 25 years before we get there but this is why all this is happening this is why all these premier programs are consolidating is because the it's not just the gap between division one or FBS and the FCS of division, formerly division two, it's the top 40 teams in the FBS are splitting away from the rest of the FBS. That's essentially what they, I mean, I, and I know a lot of the programs that are not being included here and you could name some that are really upset on Twitter lately, Wake, Louisville, right. But again, like even TCU, Utah, all these other programs aren't going to make it UCF they're going to be in a different division. It's just, I think that's where it's going. And uh, it's just too much money involved.
1: Yeah, it's its a finance game. And, and Florida State is obviously a big player. And I think if you're a Florida State fan, as much as you'd like to be out tomorrow, you have to at least be happy with the recognition from your leadership to say, it is a problem that we are actively working to fix. And it's, we we will Take care of it. Not we're looking into how to take care of it. We like, will do it. Um, how yet to be determined, but they are still actively looking into it. But as a powerhouse, um, you know you have expectations. And, and shifting gears now to the opening of camp, I think that was one of the biggest takeaways I had from Mike Norvell's opening press conferences and and at the ACC kickoff was the I don't want to say pressure he's putting on the team, but the 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 level of expectation that he's embracing because um, he kind of talked a lot about urgency yesterday and the idea of like this this is the season to get it done like this is it Um, and and I part of me was like well it's not necessarily the year to have to get it done like this feels almost like the year before the year but I like that he's willing to say to the guys like no no this is the year like go get it this year I understand it ratchets up the pressure but you know John I, I feel like you have to almost embrace it to be that level and a lot of the guys have talked about embracing it.
2: Yeah, I think Florida State has a lot of, uh, I don't know how to phrase this, the the media oomph behind it this year, right? A lot of people expect Florida State to do very, very well. Uh, and I think Norvell, see, I want to juxtapose this to when Norvell first started, right? And again, the mistake that, one of the mistakes that Willie Taggart made was Taggart came in and acted like, you know, Florida State was going to, like the world on fire and be great and all this other stuff and fun. And all and all the things that he badly misjudged his, his team, right? And that kind of really came in to bite him. I think it did in the end contribute to uh, a little bit, at least how quickly he got fired. Uh, and then Norvell comes in and he was very, very careful about expectations, right? FSU you had won three games, and you know, and then I think it was a five. It, very, very careful. So for him to come out and say, you know, he understands what he said the other day, uh, today he understands the talent he has on this team. They are absolutely loaded, especially on on offense. You, I mean, you need to gun for winning the conference this year uh, and we'll get to the preseason polls in a minute. I thought they were fine uh, or pretty or accurate to how I feel, but you, I mean, this is the year, right? You need to go after you won 10 games last year after, after the year before you've built this program. You're absolutely loaded. You need to go get it. I think he's challenging his team, sending a message and
0: I love it. Yeah. And I do think. you know i I know brian you said oh you know next year could be the year i i I disagree i think with the talent they have on this team now and the talent that's gonna be headed to the nfl next year this is the year for florida state to make their statement right because you know i i think to you know if you just look at this team kind of like in a vacuum and and you you look at what they did last year and how the, the games they lost i think it's easy to look at them and say hey you know get to the conference you know, championship game and compete in it. But in reality, with how the next few years might go with, with the veteran talent drop-off, even though we know there's the young talent in the building, I, if they don't make the most of this year, it, it is going to affect them for the next few years. And I, I think while everyone is so excited about where they are right now and where they're headed, rightfully so because of what they've proven, um, if they take even a minor step back or kind of stay stagnant, I, I I would worry for the program trying to build to a national championship. Because to me, you know, you build on momentum. You don't you don't just kind of hang, hang around and stay in that same ten to twenty range in terms of hey, you know, we're just happy to be one of the best ten to twenty teams. That's that's not what Florida State's trying to do. So I I, I think you know, you really do have to make the most of this year. And I'm not saying they have to win a national championship, but I, I I do think you have to position yourself to where fans and recruits and, you know, just generally around the program, people feel like you got the most out of this year and there wasn't something left on the table. I, I think that's my one worry right now with the expectations they're setting. Um, you know, or, you know, not not to say like, oh you know um they should temper expectations but i i just think they you know mike norvell's urgency what he's talking about how you know they know this is their year i i think it goes even like more beyond that i think they know this is the year they have to do it right because if if they nail this year if they if they squeeze the most out of this team, it'll allow them to really, really compete over the next three to five seasons. So so I think that's why this year is so important because I don't think they'll win a national championship this year, but I think if you want to position yourself to win a national championship in the next five seasons, you have to make the most out of this season. You can't, you can't just stay stagnant. I, I think, you know, yeah, they could have another 10-win season. It could still be good and they could still be very competitive, but at the same time, you know, we we saw how quickly this team fell off and, and and just how they went from 2013 to what they looked like in 2017, 2018. Things can change very quickly and momentum can can really drag you down. And I'm not saying that, you know, hey, if they win 10 games and if they don't make the conference championship, they're going to take a step back. But if they want to get to where they want to get to making the most out of this year is so important for Mike Norvell, and I think that can't be emphasized enough.
1: I, I just wonder, I guess what I meant was, like, if I was being realistic, I think, like, if I looked at a ceiling I and what admission accomplishment could look like, it's conference championship, yeah, at least an appearance, I feel like, is maybe floor of, of a reasonable expectation. Winning it and possibly a playoff berth being the ceiling, I, I just... You know, you think they can be capable of a, a national title type of team, and I, but that feels like pushing the ceiling. Um, but I appreciate the willingness to say, like you said, like the the willingness to be like, look, that's what we're gonna gun for because that that is putting a target on your back, not just in the conference, but in terms of the fan base. If things go poorly, um, you know, and it's football, you know, where right? it takes it takes one play and one turned ankle, and all of a sudden everything's totally different than it was a minute ago. Definitely. Um, and, and, I mean, and you, got the, team, you got the Niners too. right behind you. And I think of that as just, just a perfect example of a team that felt like the greatest. And then McCaffrey's playing quarterback, right. It's, it's that, right.
0: Right. Well, and, and I think, you know, my point more is so that we've seen this team only improve under Mike Norvell. What happens if that doesn't happen this season? Right. I think that's the concern that I'm, I'm laying out and I'm trying to convey. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, I mean, if like we all think Jordan Travis is going to win the Heisman or be a contender and do all these great things. What if he misses like a month? You know, what if Jared verse plays infrequently like he did last season? You know, there's just, there's just all these things that, you know, we've talked about this concept before. You don't just have to be Good. You have to be good and lucky. And I, I think for Florida State this season, um, you just can't take that step back because we've only seen them improve under Norville. So I, I think for me, that's just the one thing is, is you can't come away from this season feeling like they didn't get the most out of this team.
1: They've got a ton of momentum in recruiting. They've got a ton of momentum in terms of, like you said, building up the win and improving each year. Um, one thing that we talked about, I think it was, it was, this is just you and I, I think last week talking schedule. So John, I'll, I'll kick it to you, but um, Norvell talked about like the need for camp to be hard, like a, a a tougher camp. And I imagine a lot of that has to do with that early schedule um, because their season is basically in the first five games. John, do you, do you picture that as being a, a lot different um, than what we've seen? And, and the need to put the target on their own backs pretty much immediately because from day one through the end of their first month, they've got what I think any of us would say is easily their two biggest games.
2: Yeah, that I mean I kind of hate the schedule for that. I don't think it's a bad schedule overall, but yeah, I, I think Norvell realizes that right. And it's something uh, I think it was Ben said earlier. You know, you kind of or was it? I can't remember. Somebody said that you want to FSU to kind of oh, it's Connolly, right? They wanted FSU to come firing right out of the gates. They need to. Uh, and I think Norvell recognizes that because you're right. The season you play LSU and Clemson, those are the two biggest games on the schedule. And if you want to go where you want to go, you got to beat them both. Technically, you really only have to beat Clemson, but you'd like to win them both because you beat LSU last year. If you hadn't fumbled on the goal line, you beat LSU by multiple scores. You know what I'm saying? So to lose them both, that would you know, and you could still win 10 games. In the regular season, if you lost them both, but the narrative about Florida State would be very different than, than the 10-win season last season. So I, I 100% agree. And I, I think again, I think Norvell knows what he has, and he needs to challenge them to be – Norvell doesn't like to lose, obviously, right? And if you go out and you lose those two games early on, I just don't think he's wired like that. I think he wants this really badly.
1: Well, and and to your point on on that, the fumble at the goal line against LSU, and um, you've brought it up a bunch of times, the pattern last year of kind of disappearing for, for quarters at a time. Ben, you had a stat on that, I think, right? On just yeah, their, so. their kind of vanishing act?
0: Yeah, and this and it was really those three losses that I focused on because you know they had they had spurts in other games where the offense stalled a little, but you know, uh, for example, I'll go through the three games now against Wake Forest, they scored their first touchdown with about 13 minutes left in the first quarter, so about two minutes into the game, and then they didn't score again until seven minutes left in the third quarter, and in that game, it was too little too late um, same thing against NC State FSU scored all of their points in the first half they didn't score in the second half um, against Clemson FSU they scored with about uh, just at the beginning of the second quarter so like 14 55 uh, about left in the second quarter they didn't score again until nine minutes left in the fourth quarter and overall, those games if you look at the offensive possessions they had they only converted in terms of scoring on 10 of about 33 possessions. So that's a three-game stretch to me that's that's really concerning that, you know, you want to talk about hanging with LSU, hanging with Clemson, you know, getting to a conference championship game, doing the things we expect of FSU. I, I that's That would be my one concern. Not that I don't think they're capable of it, but they have not proven that they can hang with those teams yet. Now they certainly could go out and do that this season, but I, I don't think I don't think you can say confidently that they've proven that they can hang with the top ten, top fifteen team who's really rolling. And even then, you know, uh, Wake and NC State—I mean, those weren't those programs fell off pretty quick after they won against Florida State. So I, I think to me, that's the the concerning thing is that. They haven't proven against those th- that, that, with this team as currently constructed. They haven't proven that they can hang with those those juggernauts.
1: Well, and John, how do you see? Did you see that more as the as though those teams were really holding Florida State in check, or there was just like this? They just kind of fall out of rhythm for two quarters. Because it felt like in those specific games, even the first quarter against Clemson, they were fine. The fourth quarter against Clemson, they were fine, and it was like they can do it against these teams. It just felt like they've kind of lost their own rhythm.
2: Yeah, I honestly I think it's a little bit of both, uh, call A, call and B. I, I do think a lot of it is is they just struggle to execute and things like that. And I want to give those defenses credit because they were some of the toughest defenses they faced, you know, last season. And I, I will, will point out too, I think the defense was something around like 25th or whatever. And again, the offense was the most explosive in the country. The defense was, I think, the best at limiting explosive plays. That's not going to change from last season to this season. You would hope that the defense improves. Maybe from 25 to 20th, maybe if everyone stays healthy, you know, some people, you know, kind of grow into the rules, maybe 15th, but it's not going to be a top five elite defense like what we've seen from Clemson or Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State last couple of seasons. They don't have the talent for that, but that's not how this team is built to win anyway. And it's built to win where you'd limit explosive plays, try to keep your opponent under 30 points a game, and you hope your offense is scoring 35 to 40, 45. That's how they're built. That's, and so, for me to kind of my opinion to wrap all this up is I think that this, just like last season, the onus is on the offense. They have to raise their floor. They can't go quiet for a quarter or two quarters or whatever it is. They got to go out there with a killer mentality and they got to put the ball in the end zone. That's how you're going to beat Clemson. I, again, I don't, I don't think they have the talent. And, and Clemson is more talented than Florida state, right? We'll get to that in a second. But um, I obviously Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state are all much more talented than fsu is this year but you can if you have an elite offense it's kind of a little bit of an equalizer I, again i do think they struggled against some of the more elite defenses they played last season but that's why i put this season just like last season on the offense this that's the group that's going to carry this team and that's the one that will decide how far this team goes do they disappear for a quarter two quarters at a time or can they score consistently with a high floor and while maintaining, you know, their explosiveness, they're not going to be as explosive as I I don't think that they're going to be, again, the most explosive team in the country, but I hope that they don't have to be because they don't get into as many third and longs. They stay ahead of the chains. Um, they do pretty much, they get whatever they want kind of offense, right? Uh, they'll take their shots when they want to, but they don't have to rely on it as much as they did last season. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, so whether they win 10 games or, or 11 games in the regular season, it's going to be on the offense.
0: Yeah. I, and I think, you know, to kind of like, Round that out. Like you're saying, they don't have to be the most explosive team in the country, but they need to they need to have shootout potential to where in those games where you're going back and forth with those teams offensively, you know, in the fourth quarter in the third quarter, you you just cannot stall like they did in those situations. And you know, I think the reason I was being a little harsh on them with that is because, you know, outside of the LSU game, those were the three games where they were really challenged the most. And yes. I think you can look at the offense stalling and the execution. And I totally agree with you, John, but at the same time, you got to step up to the challenge and they just didn't quite do that against those teams. Right. So I think for me, my question would be if you get in that situation, if you get in a fourth quarter shootout sort of situation, if if you get in a game where your offense does need to do that, um, you know, if you stall for a second quarter and then you're two touchdowns behind or you get through the third quarter and then you stall out until the, you know, middle of the fourth quarter, you know, for what FSU wants to accomplish, you just can't have too much of that. You have have to be able to bounce back well from those poorly executed situations because they're going to come up. There's going to be those moments. I, I think for them, it's really just, how did they respond to those moments? And I, I feel like in those three games, the response wasn't what you would hope from this team.
2: Right. I do think the, off, the improvement in the offensive line, and especially them going out and getting all that talent at tight end, will really help in, in that regard. I think that the, the, the lack of the playmaking ability at tight end, or the consistency even, and then again, the improvement in the offensive line, I think will really make a huge difference in that area.
1: Yeah, and the the other thing too, I, and we talked. and I, I know you don't have the numbers in front of you, but you know, even the games they won, they did kind of have some of those lulls. I mean, obviously, I, I felt like the LSU game was dead, done, and buried, and and then they kind of couldn't put it away in the fourth. Even outside of this, that fumble, um, the Florida State game or the Florida Florida State game, they had a uh, fourteen point lead there in the fourth and, and had to score late to win the game. Um, and then and this one's kind of different, but even though you game, you know, they were up three, nothing early and then they didn't score for basically a whole nother quarter and, and some change. Um, so, you know, they, they, that even kind of showed its head in a few of the wins. Um, the games where I'm looking at, I'm looking back at the schedule to jog my memory, but I mean, even the games they blew out looking at them, it's, it's, you know, teams that they pretty clearly should have. Uh, well,
2: that beat. that's the issue. I mean, see, like wh- They recruited the recruiting for next class is amazing, right? Last I checked, I know they got one or two commits, I think, since then. But last I checked, the blue chip ratio of the 2024 class was like 70%. That's on par with Ohio State and Georgia and those teams. That's how you win a national championship. But the current blue chip percentage of this FSU team is something closer to like 40% or something Mm -hmm. like that, right? It's that blue chipper set that's the depth that really gets you right and i think that's why fsu kind of struggled in some uh, against their tougher opponents late in games is rotating your guys out it's the starters can play with anybody but you can't play them for an entire 60 minutes you know you're going to wear them out i think the depth is is where, where that really hurts and I'm, I'm really happy about the recruiting we'll get to that i'm sure at some point but because uh, of how often i go off on about that but <laughs> I'm excited for all that conversation. Let me tell you that, but uh, it's really, really great to see, but I think it's the depth that really kills you. Again, Ohio state can put four and five stars all the way through the entire game. I mean, it sucks if you're playing them and the backups come in and they're just as talented as the guys who walked out. So,
1: yeah. And I think you're starting to see that maybe that's what is happening here in this ACC preseason poll. Of course, the ACC kickoff was, uh, I guess a week and a half ago now. Um, The polling there, I'll go bottom to top. Virginia at the bottom, pretty in a distance between them. And even Boston College is second from the bottom. Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech. Hughes, kind of the collective next towards the bottom. Kind of middle chunk here, Wake, Louisville, Pitt, Duke, Miami, and NC State. Kind of a collective group together, kind of in that 1,600 to 1,100 point range. Uh, And then UNC at 1,900. Kind of in that, I think a second tier by themselves. Florida State and Clemson, pretty neck and neck. Clemson is the one who actually is voted as the champion. Twenty three hundred and seventy points. Florida State twenty three oh four. I feel like Ben, we, you and I, kind of talked about this a lot last week, going through the conference. It it is a two dog race, uh, but when you look around at the other the other contenders, not many of them are are going head to head with you. Um, But it's it's pretty clear that it is. Florida State, Clemson, with North Carolina as that next tiered
0: team. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think what's really fascinating about this list is the discrepancy between you know who those third, fourth, and fifth teams are, right? Because I'm looking at uh, DraftKings right now, who has who has betting odds up right now. The, in order, it's it's Clemson, then Florida State, and then tied North Carolina, Louisville. Who Louisville is all the ways down in in, in this uh, ACC list. Then uh, Pitt, then Miami, then NC State, right? So I, I think it's interesting to see the the market difference between you know the the internal ACC versus kind of how Vegas looks at it. Um, how much of
1: that do you think is like their algorithmic look at like win probabilities and and being able to take kind of maybe more of the schedule in, whereas the polling is is more media members kind of general what the roster looked like.
0: I think that's exactly what it is, right? Uh, because you know Louisville's really high up in this, but I, and I think we went through this, Brian, uh, right? Last we week we did,
1: yeah. All. Last week's show.
0: They didn't. They don't have a, a hard schedule at all, right? So I, I think you know that's probably where that discrepancy comes from. But I, I do feel like after those top three teams, it's kind of it's kind of dealer's choice. You know, it's 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 kind of like pick your own own flavor. So I. I I think it's, it's interesting that you have all those teams from four to nine. So that's NC state, Miami, Duke, Pitt, Louisville, wake all clumped together. I I do feel like that's a a good tier of teams that I could see similar outcomes for. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting to see that together. I, I, I do think it's, it's, it's funny that, uh, my mine is just a little bit higher than I would expect them to be. You know, maybe that's that's my bias as a Florida State alumni. Um, but you know, it's 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 interesting to see that people haven't knocked them down too much.
1: It feels like a, a case of what the hell happened to Tyler Van Dyke. Was it an injury? Was it the shoulder? Was it the offensive coordinator? And if they let him throw, then I think they, everyone just kind of looks around and goes, Well, they've got the quarterback. Yeah. You know, yeah. Do, you, do you trust, do you trust Riley at at, at Duke? Do you trust Pitt? Do you, you know, I mean, if you look around, I guess you could, you could say Miami, John, what, what's your kind of feel? I know you said you kind of agreed with this list. Obviously I assume you were looking at the top.
2: Yeah. And see, uh, I like Ben's perspective, looking at the, the analytics of the Vegas stuff. So for me, I got a little bit of a different one. Then I'll go in a little bit different direction. With this, I uh, I want to point out last year's preseason A- ACC poll. And in general, preseason polls don't mean anything to me. Don't really care. It's usually the media lagging one year behind of what happened the year before. But <laughs> I would like to point out, last year, Clemson, first place, 103 ballots for first place, just like this year. Wow. Which is very interesting, right? The same, same number. 100, the same 103
1: house. guys, yeah.
2: But after that was NC State 38, Miami 8, Wake Forest 4. This year, it's FSU sixty-seven, North Carolina five, NC State one, Miami gets no first place votes. So I thought it was really, really interesting how Clemson and I, I agree that Clemson's more talented team until FSU dethrones them. That's the way it should be. Uh, but for FSU to go from two first place votes to sixty-seven, Miami gets none. NC State drops from thirty-eight to to uh, one. I thought it was really interesting. Again, like we talked about, as a two-horse race, obviously. Um, but a lot of the other teams in the ACC, especially the quarterback play, has kind of fallen off in the last two years. I, th- I think that's part of it. Again, why North Carolina only got five first-place votes, you can put all five to Drake May. It's pretty much why those are there. Uh, so I, I just thought that was interesting. Um, I, obviously, all the all the votes were divvied differently after Clemson. Yeah. Um, well,
0: so well, I, I thought it was fair. I thought it was good. But uh, I just thought it was interesting. Oh, sorry. Sorry to cut you off, John. I was going to say also, as you're mentioning Drake May, he got the he got the nod over Jordan Travis in the ACC preseason poll. What do you think about that?
2: Uh I'm, I'm OK with it, honestly. Uh, Drake May is ridiculous. He's probably going to go one or two in the draft. I'm good with it. Um, that's not that's not a knock on Jordan Travis. He's obviously, I think, a top. I'd say worse four to the eighth best quarterback in the country. Uh, but May's probably the second best quarterback in the country. The guy's a beast. Um, and it's okay. That's not a knock on him.
1: Yeah, I to be honest, I I was barely surprised by how close the player of the year vote was. Um, and, and I don't mean that again as any slight to Jordan. If I got to vote, I believe Florida State is a better football team. And to that end, I think the team, the the quarterback most likely to lift the trophy then is Jordan. Um, and I think he has the ability to show he is one of the five best quarterbacks in college football and possibly end up in New York at the end of the season. Um, But in terms of kind of what John was saying in the preseason poll, being a year behind, um, your reigning player of the year is coming back. He's the player of the year until someone takes it off of his trophy case. So, yeah, I was surprised it was that close. I thought it showed a lot of respect to Jordan for him to be – uh, just for those, the preseason player of the year, I'm looking at it now, I've got it at uh, 88 for Drake May and 66 for Jordan. So, wow. I mean, it, it's, it, that is pretty close. I mean, but when you look at the preseason, all ACC team, Drake may had 107 votes. So, I, you know, I don't know if if people are trying to put like, you know, one, one egg in each basket or, or what they were doing. They're kind of hedging <laughs> their bets. But, you know, uh, it, it was kind of interesting because like even Will Shipley has 17 votes for preseason player of the year. Um you know, I, he's kind of the only other one with multiple.
0: I, I think that's more reflective of the team versus the individual stuff. You know, right? I, I think that's where that's coming from in, in the difference.
1: But I'm interested. I was pretty surprised to see it being that close, and I think that does speak to the thought of Florida State's ability to be playing for an ACC championship and and potentially win the conference because. You know, I I look at the list of preseason player of the year and if Clemson is the next like is the likeliest team per the media, the same people who made these votes. um, And I say the media like it's some kind of big, bad entity and I'd never mean to do that. Um, I, I, don't, I don't I don't I don't see Nick on here. Right. I don't, I don't I don't I don't see him having got a vote. I see Shipley got votes. I see Jeremiah Trotter got votes. I got Tyler Davis has votes. Um, but, you know, I think that speaks to the confidence in the quarterback that speaks to. What? you feel confident in. And at the end of the day, man, there's really nothing more important than having a good quarterback. And Florida state has, if not one, a one B in this conference, it's, it's him and Drake may in terms of college quarterbacks. And you know, to John's point, Drake may could be the second overall pick or first overall pick kind of guy um, depending on how you feel about Caleb Williams, who I assume is probably going to go one, one, but um you know, in terms of college quarterback, I, Jordan is a, a top tier guy, you know, and I don't think there's anything oh, wrong with that.
2: Oh, he absolutely is. And again, his NFL prospects don't matter. Jordan's one of the best college quarterbacks in the country. Easily.
0: Yeah. And, and I will say, I, I, I do actually really like him as an NFL prospect, but that's another conversation for another time. Well, so. and I
1: think he he, he just has <laughs> hurdles to clear there in terms of perception. And I think, I think that's more of the conversation you know i personally i thought he made giant leaps last year um but i think in the perception of college football he's just looked at as well he's a runner who can throw and, I, and last year god how many times john we and i sat here on here and goes and we're talking about how he wasn't really running
2: yeah he was past he's first not, absolutely he's
1: not running was our conversation all the time but i feel like if you talk to many national reporters they'll say man he's so fast he's a great runner you gotta work on his arm i'm like dude didn't run I I, I felt like he could have used it more.
2: Right. And I I think the whole uh, one reading takes off kind of, you know, uh, per um, you know what I'm trying to say. Right. The stereotype or the trope or whatever, of the quarterback. Uh, I think it did apply to Jordan Travis a couple of years ago. But I would say two years ago, it it didn't really. He was getting out of that. And then last year, absolutely not. He was a pass first guy. He was very, very good at it. And he always took off. uh, I would say his decision making was judicious. And when he took off, and how in the lane that he picked outside, you know, in the pocket and, and to get an escape for maximum. He was an incredible, excellent, excellent uh decision making in a player in those situations. Um, he is not the same player he was a few seasons ago. He's unbelievable amount of progress that he's made. Uh it's I I th- I hope Floyd State fans really, truly appreciate how much he's improved because it doesn't happen to this extent this often.
0: No, it doesn't. And, and I think the other thing that also might help the national perception of Jordan Travis as a passer is, you know, what helps a ton is getting some good receivers, right? So I, I think as we saw that receiving talent improve last year, the narrative started shifting more and more towards, you know, him being less of a runner. But you look at this upcoming season, Jaheem Bell, who people are saying is going to be an NFL tight end. I think Keon Coleman is is a next level guy, day one, day two pick potentially Johnny Wilson. I mean, you know, the more, the more NFL level talent you have at receiving better, you're going to look as a passer. Right. So. Right. A hundred percent. There's an argument to be made that Micah Pittman
2: was FSU's best receiver last year. And I know Johnny Wilson is huge and the, you know, massive, uh, you know, pterosaur catch radius. And Michael all the spectacular, the most all the spectacular. Right. right. So yeah. he was arguably their best receiver last year. I mean, he Ran good routes. He was always in, you know, pretty much the place where he was supposed to be. He he was great at blocking, and he left because he got passed on the depth chart. He's not a bad player. I, I Flores, would he's have right. loved to have kept him. I mean, he's well, all right. he, yeah. I think the knock on Pittman was that he was smaller, but yeah. you get a guy like Keon Coleman, six foot four, right? You still keep Kentron. You got Johnny Wilson. uh And Destin Hill comes comes in, right? Who's apparently set camp on fire. All this incredible stuff. You have you have talent, speed, and size. And that was Mike Pittman's, I think uh, the you know Achilles' heel; it's not his in his control, but he transferred out because he got passed up. And again, he's a good player. And it, two years ago, we were talking about this. Florida State had the worst receiver group in at least the ACC, if not the Power Five. Now it's, I don't know, a top three, top five group in the country. It's absolutely insane.
1: I mean, I have friends who cover LSU who text me earlier this week and were like, I didn't even realize Florida State had Keon Coleman. Like they're writing their previews and they're like, that's a great pickup. You know, yeah. like that's a great that they're like, that's a really scary duo. Um, you know, I mean, you you, you weren't getting that text two years ago. Definitely weren't getting it two years ago. I mean, you no. weren't getting it a year ago, which you definitely weren't getting it two years ago. You and you and you and, and Juan sat here, like, I don't know who's catching the ball week <laughs> to week. Right. Um how insane that how much that's changed. Yeah,
2: it was because very yeah. Now, between all the guys and Jaheen Bell, right, and all the other guys you picked up, you would only have well, – what you've gone from that to you only have one ball. Yeah. <laughs> like someone's going to be upset. Someone's going to be upset midseason because they're not catching the ball.
0: Oh, definitely.
1: And, and unless, that's, unless Jordan I, just distributes it to everybody.
0: He might. He might. He's good enough to.
1: A touchdown for everybody each game. But
0: this is what
2: we mean. I mean, this offense is, like, absurdly loaded. They're more loaded than a lot of the other top teams that we've talked about tonight. Right, they have just as much, if not more, starting talent than than any almost anybody in the country you could put them up against, except yeah, for yeah. their offensive line. Their offensive line is still going to be one of the best in the country. It's expected to be top top twenty, top ten, because of all their returning experience. I mean, th- this is yeah. I, I...
1: we've talked about <laughs> it so many times. I don't know what else to say. They're absolutely <laughs> other. Uh, that was good. I like though. I just yeah. I yeah. I don't yeah. know what else
2: to say. It, it's absurd.
1: I mean, it's true. It's true. They are loaded. They have the talent, and and it just comes back to that execution piece. If if they can make sure that they execute to the way they they, we know that they are capable. They're that kind of team. They they are that kind of team. Um, to your point, though, John, it, it is starter level talent, um, and that that is what everyone kind of makes their predictions on. That's how they very quickly become a a very popular dark horse pick you got to stay healthy you know that that's right. part of when you don't have the depth of, of a team that's been doing this for a while or been stacking classes for a while you you need the health. um yep. so but hey it's preseason we ain't gonna worry about that right now we deal with that when <laughs> it comes. right it didn't it hasn't nothing's happened yet so we're not worried about that until it does uh any final thoughts guys the year the 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 anything we've kind of covered you want to double back on
0: Ben, uh, you got anything no, I'm just excited for this this season. I think more than anything, you know, we talk about all these fun pieces. Um, I'm just excited to see what it looks like. You know, we it, it's like uh, I just you know I, I've seen Oppenheimer a few times. We're, we're taking it from theory um, to to practical. You know, we're we're putting this in practice. <laughs> we're gonna actually see what happens. It's not just theoretical anymore. We're gonna see what this football team looks like. And and I feel like, you know. Course of course, with the offseason, it's always all theoretical, but especially with the personnel changes they've made on the offensive side of the ball. Um, it's, it's all been very theoretical now. Now we're actually going to see what this team is like. So I'm really just excited for that. This
2: is the best team they've had since 2014, and it should look like it.
0: It should. It
1: definitely should. And hopefully it will, because. It really sets up to be a fun year. Yeah. It really, I mean, it really does. Even even result of the first game or or whatever, or be damned. Uh, you come out of that bye week, you've got a chance to stack wins and build momentum. And and we all know the playoff plays in a very, what have you done for me lately kind of way. Um, you know, you get the fun excitement of let's hit the ground running, which is awesome. So you don't have to go through the lulls of September to really get into a big game. You get to jump right into it. And if you come right through it, great. You've got a chance to keep stacking wins. And if you don't, it's still all right in front of you. Uh, It's a really good team. They're very top-heavy on the depth chart. But, you know, I mean, you can see Norvell really embrace it. And and if the coach is normally willing to embrace it, he's got to feel really confident in what he's got.
2: Yeah. I mean, coming from Memphis, it's got to be the best team he's ever coached, right? Oh,
1: yeah. I mean – I would have
2: to. Easily. Think so. So. I would have to yeah. think so. I mean... He put uh, he put a lot of NFL guys... Uh, put a lot of guys into the NFL, I'm sorry, at Memphis, like Darrell Henderson and yeah. a couple other guys. Tony uh, Pollard. Don't yeah, Tony Pollard. People. He put a bunch of good guys in the NFL, but man... Antonio did Antonio Gibson burst? go there? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. Quite a few um, right
0: backs.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's... He knows how to find them, man. Benson... Uh, but no, verse is probably looking at hopefully being if he can stay healthy. Do you see how huge he looks? First of oh. all, by the way, his his knock on him was against against the run. He quickly just destroyed that, and then he's good at, at at converting speed to power and just annihilating offensive tackles. Then he gets up to two sixty. Come on, I he's looking at probably if he stays healthy and he has a productive season. Like he's, expect he's looking at top ten, top fifteen pick.
1: Oh,
0: I think Cha-ching. he's gonna
1: be a top five pick. Yeah, ching ching. Yeah, I mean that's I mean. And they're those guys that when you see them, that's an NFL player. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and, and with right. the with the extra weight, you're just like, yeah. I mean, that's that yeah. is an NFL player. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I just know. I mean, he's he's got the size. He's big. Add extra the extra poundage. I don't. I don't know where else you could really complain about it. He's still quick. He's still super fast.
2: Yeah, he he that, sets the edge well. Right, and he sets the edge well against the run. Uh, I, yeah, he's. He's got to put a few more pass rush moves, right? Change some of that stuff together, show that on film. But he's looking at a, a top 15 pick um, if if he yeah. does that. It's, um, it's absurd. Well, and another guy who,
0: who can put it all together and, and be that kind of guy is Johnny Wilson, just with those measurables and everything. I, I think to me, he's a little too inconsistent to be that high of a pick. But, I mean, we know what the NFL looks at with these guys, right? They're gonna They're going to lose their minds when they see the measurables of Johnny Wilson.
1: To bring it full circle, the uh, second most votes for the preseason all ACC football team first goes to Will Shipley, who had 169 out of the 176, so only seven people don't vote for him, but uh, Jared Verse 136, so pretty unanimously, that dude is good, so, (laughs) uh, and then (laughs) to your other point, Johnny Wilson also on the team, 117 votes, so, uh, yeah, you know, if you're looking for the guys, that's them, and the one name we haven't mentioned, who's obviously part of it, is Fenchel Cypress, um, I feel like he's he's going to be coming up in our upcoming defense preview, and we talk a lot of Jared Verse. We'll talk a lot of Fentrell because he's certainly a key piece going forward. Uh, unsure of the next episode timing. This is going to a weird middle of the week episode. It'll probably be a week and a half at least till we come back around. But uh, until then, for Brian, Ben, and John, that's a wrap.